This is the Switch Everything Podcast, and I'm your host, Josh Linky. I'm on Twitter at TheZagaholic. I'm joined by my co-host, Elliot Braxick, on Twitter at ElliotB21. This podcast is dedicated to all things college basketball, from the mid-majors to the blue bloods and everything in between. Join us weekly as we offer our take on the sport we love, discuss the history of the game, and occasionally chop it up with players and coaches from across the nation. Let's go! Welcome to the Switch Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Linky, and today I'm joined by the man who is uniquely qualified to help me get through this postseason seasonal affective disorder, Elliot Braxick. How are you feeling today, Elliot? Hey, man, come sit on the couch next to me. Welcome welcome to the other side of the tournament. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, they, they call it sad for a reason, um, yeah. because I am sad, so. Yeah, it is, it is officially March sadness season, for your for your switch everything hosts I, I will say though that even though the game was not good um I can't be more uh happy that the mayhem ensued the way it did I wish that I wish there would have been more of a game for Gonzaga I, if they had lost by a point it would have been you know a little bit more palatable um I definitely don't think that's Gonzaga's that, that's not indicative of their effort especially after the play they played against UCLA I think that they definitely are a better team than that and I think that you guys have nothing to hang your heads about for this season at all. Yeah. I mean, I just look at the situation and, you know, obviously anytime you get a, what was it? A 28 point beat down. Um, I believe they were up by 30. Yeah. They were up by like 30 something at one point. I mean, what it came down to was the first half was, was relatively close. We get to the end of the first half and all of a sudden there's like a two or three possession swing uh, where things did not go our way. So they ended up going to the half, I believe up seven. And then at the start of the second half, Timmy, you know, gets called for two fouls, pretty much boom, boom. And the, and the, the, the second of which was his fourth of the game and a very questionable call that, I mean, like pretty much every national analyst was sitting there going, uh, that's not a foul. And you definitely don't foul out or try to foul out your, one of your star players on a call like that. Like, you know, the whole the whole point of March Madness is to put the best foot forward and make the sport shine for the rest of the world because it is the only time of the year when every single person in the sports world is actually paying attention uh, to college basketball. So you want to make these games competitive. You want to make sure the stars are present. You don't want these refs to control these games. And, no. you know, at the end of the game, like, look, I there were bad calls for UConn in that game too, like stuff that, you know, went against, uh, went against them that, you know, helped us out. But it was definitely one-sided, the way that it was cool. called, the the style of the calls, like how how Gonzaga was taken out of their flow of the game, um, you know, and, and having to use their bench early. And then at the end of the day, no matter how bad the calls were, Gonzaga just simply sucked. Like, absolutely terrible uh, shooting the ball that day. And there's not much you can really do if you're going to, you know, come out with with your best shooters just not being able to buy a bucket. Um, no. You know, and, and previously in the, in the game before, you know, UCLA, like, 
even though we struggled shooting in that game, there were still moments where we were able to get it going. We just could not get it going against UConn, which is it's shocking because we're the number one offense in the nation by a pretty fair margin. And for whatever reason, the offense just wasn't there. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. Um, I wish that we had been able to, to handle business, but I also recognize the fact that Gonzaga exceeded expectations this year. You know, the, the team wasn't supposed to be in the elite eight based on seeding. Number one, number two, you run into a team like UConn who actually looked like the best team in the country for the first two months of the year and then just had a really rough January, but then figured it out again. Like the last month and a half for UConn has been one of the best stretches of the season for any team. And their tournament is indicative of the talent level that this team has. Adama Sanogo is dominant. You know, Jordan Hawkins and Joey Calvateri and some of these other guys, like, they have shooters. They have size at the guard position. They play a balanced offense and defense, which is generally what you see from national titles. And I feel like, you know, Dan Hurley has a huge chip on his shoulder. This is a coach who has been disrespected for years by a lot of people. And I think he just truly has this team playing in another gear. Uh, And as a result, I'm not going to be shocked if UConn punches their fifth national title uh, win of, of their, you know, program history and cements themselves in my opinion, as the next blue blood, you know, I I know that's a term we throw around. A lot of people throw around loosely, but I am not one of those people. In my opinion, it's, it's Kentucky, it's Kansas. It's, uh, you know, uh, North Carolina, Duke, and then at the back end of that, UCLA and Indiana have a claim to it because of you know decades of success from different coaches and, and whatnot. Sure. Uh, and then UConn is the closest program to that, like you know, and and I think with a third coach to have won a national title in a fourth decade, it just it solidifies their claim that they should be on that list of the cream of the crop of college basketball programs. No question yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I, the only team that I think you can even argue to put on par with UConn um, is Michigan state. Uh, but Michigan state really has only won the one title under Izzo. Um, yeah. I think they have three total might be two. Uh, but I, I, the one thing I will say about that is that UConn has definitely in a quarter century, gone from having no titles to potentially having a fifth. And one thing that I know is true for all Kentucky fans, at least, is that we look at, especially right now, Coach Calipari, and go, look, what you've done is not good anymore. You have not done what we want you to do. We're going to take our ball. We're going to go home. We're going to throw a fit. But if you go back and look historically, when we win championships, there's a big gap between those times. I mean, we had – 48, 49, and 51, and 58, all with Rupp. That all happened in a span of 10 years. But then we didn't win another title for 20. Then we win another, win another title again for 16 or for 18. So it's not to say that it's impossible to maintain a blue blood status, even if you're not winning championships, because Kentucky is you know, the second winningest program. Uh, these other teams like Kansas is now the winningest program, as much as I hate to say it. 
Um, you know, Duke's won some titles. UNC's won a lot of titles lately. Uh, but a fifth, in my opinion, as well, puts UConn in that blue blood spot. But yeah. I do want I do want to say something because you, you mentioned this earlier about um, Gonzaga going up against the uh, Gonzaga having the number one offense. I didn't realize that Connecticut had the number three offense, according to Ken Palm, uh, yeah. adjusted offense. But they had the 11th adjusted defense. And I'm pretty sure at one point in time this season, uh, it was at least top three, might have been top five, but uh, it was right around um, the end of their non-conference tournament or their uh, non-conference schedule. I will note that during that game, I I caught glimpses of it. I was actually at a a birthday party. It's actually the only game that weekend I missed uh, watching all of it, but um the an announcer mentioned Connecticut had actually gone um, and had a better record in their out of conference than they did in conference. So when you're looking at who they played as well, you're like, okay, well, the Big East was pretty low to this season. I mean, you had Xavier, you had Creighton, uh, second weekend teams, uh, then Connecticut, you had Providence in there as well. Um, you know, Georgetown made some big moves in there and who they're hiring this off season. So y- y- the conference is doing its best to stay relevant. And I think that as far as basketball goes this season, that even though Miami is still playing for the ACC, I still think the big East was better than the ACC top to bottom. Oh yeah. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the ACC ranked behind the mountain West. Yeah, in, but see, in the power I say rankings. that, and then they have Miami in the champ in the in the Final Four. Which, by the way, let's just take a quick second and, and and address something real fast. If I had told you at the beginning of this tournament that it would be Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Connecticut, and Miami, would you have thought I had head trauma, or do you think I would have just played randomized my bracket? The only team of that group that I would have even remotely thought was capable of a Final Four was UConn. But yeah, I mean, there's no way. Florida Atlantic, like I had Memphis beating them in the first round. Yeah. And they honestly could have easily (laughs) lost that game because of how it went down at the end. Yeah. Um, You know, Miami, I believe, were were they – I think they were down five in their first round game with under two minutes to go or or something like that. Yeah, it was – all the games – all those first round games for all those teams were very close. It was not – it wasn't anything – nothing was decided. The only the only team in, in the group that has looked dominant in pretty much every game that they've played has been UConn. And I honestly feel like we're gonna see them potentially win by double digits against Miami and then by double digits against maybe San Diego State in the national championship game. You think so? Um yeah, I just I think they're they're gonna after this tournament, we're all gonna look back on it and be like, yeah, UConn was a dominant team. And yeah. I think we were all like asleep at the wheel when we didn't recognize that and seated them fourth in the nation. Like, yeah, did they have a rough January? Yes. You know, I think I think UConn lost uh, during the from December thirty first through January twenty fifth. Yeah, well, from December thirty first through January twenty fifth, oh, yeah. it was six. Yeah, with Xavier. Yeah. And then they're. Their alone uh, or their two other losses were against Creighton on February 11th and and Marquette on March 10th, uh, both losses within three points. So, you know, yes, they had a, a really rough stretch, uh, you know, at the at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and then they figured it out again. And you know, if you go back to the non-conference season, they beat Alabama. Now, and, and oh, they wow. didn't just they didn't just beat Alabama; they absolutely 
steamrolled Alabama by like yeah. 15 and I think it was actually bigger a bigger margin than that for 20, most of the game. I think it was like 22 or 23 and Alabama hit a couple late shots. We kind of knew in the non-conference season that like okay, yeah, UConn's looking pretty stout. You know, coming into the season like I don't know if I don't know how many people had Adama Sonogo in their top 20 players in the nation. I did though because in my opinion just from what I've seen of him, he is a force on the interior. And one thing about Sonogo this year that a lot of people don't under, don't realize, he suddenly developed a little bit of a three-point shot. <laughs> he, this is a guy who I think in the rest of his career combined had like two three-point attempts. Uh yeah, one, excuse me. He, has, he had he had three three-point attempts. Did he? Okay. Attempts. This year he had he's had almost 50 and he's shooting at almost 35% from outside. Okay. And this this is a you know, this is a, a prototypical five, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, a little short for a five, but he is a he is a prototypical five the way he plays. The size that UConn trots out, I mean, all, their guards are all six, five, six, six. Um, you know, the they have stretch. They have a stretch uh, four in Alex Caravan, uh, who shot over 40 percent this year on pretty good usage uh, over 150 attempts. Um, Donovan Klingon is looking like a potential future star at the five for them. He's a seven, two, uh, freshman. Um, and then, you know, Jordan Hawkins, like, honestly, I, I honestly feel like Jordan Hawkins is, is on the verge of potentially breaking out and becoming a, a true NBA candidate. Um, he just, he has the size. He's a good shooter. He shot 270 attempts this year from outside. That's a lot. Uh, you know, Andre Jackson and Tristan Newton, very solid players. And then Joey California. I mean, let's let's be real. Like Gonzaga got to watch Joey out in uh, the WCC for a couple of years when he was at San Diego. Uh, and he was an OK player. I don't think anybody quite thought that he was going to transfer to UConn and become a, a significant rotational piece for for uh, for Dan Hurley. Uh, but he did. And he's shooting almost forty four percent from outside this year, so they they just they're loaded. They have tons of weapons. I th- I just think UConn is is the runaway favorite at this point. I would agree. I think that it's the easy pick. Uh, I like it to be uh, UConn and Florida Atlantic. Um, I, I think that I, I you know we'll we'll get, we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, the thing that sticks out for me of these four teams is that you know you don't have any McDonald's All Americans. You don't have any all. You don't have any first, second, or third team All Americans on this on this uh, or in this four, and uh, no ones, twos, threes. The highest seed you have is a four. You go four, five, five, nine. I mean, it again. We talked about it at the beginning of of uh, this podcast, uh, starting out everything on episode one. This is the best time of year because there's uncertainty. There's mayhem. There's you know, so many things that can be a variable you don't consider at the start of the tournament. I didn't expect, um, you know, Antonio Reeves to get white hot against Providence and then colder than Pluto against Kansas State. But then you turn around and see um, that happen in, in several other instances. I won't name any specifically, but there are a few times this this postseason that I've seen players kind of transcend what they were doing this season. And, um, you know, one of those players that I, I, I would really like to talk about, because I really want to pick your brain on this, um, is Marcus Norwell from Kansas State. 
um, did us dirty, you know, did us in, then turned around and had 19 assists against Michigan State. The dude was collecting yeah. them like somebody dared me couldn't. And then, you know, had the had the uh, the very um, internet famous clip now of him arguing with the coach or looking like he's arguing with the coach and then throwing the lob um, when they were tied in overtime. I mean, seriously, like the stones it takes to do that. Um, I, I mean, I, I got to say, I hated losing to him because I hate losing. Uh, and I hated that it was with a small guard because people have complained about severe all season. Uh, and I do think that severe might end up being a wildcat next season, but in Manhattan, um, the, but what, I want to know what you think. Cause I mean, you didn't have to face him. You didn't have to really deal with him at all this season. Uh, what, what were your impressions on a guy like him, especially taking this opportunity and maximize? I feel like he's one of probably about a dozen players that have really maximized this tournament for themselves. Yeah, I mean, size-wise, he's not he's not doing himself any favors as a, okay. a prospect for the next level. I right. think he's what five eight, five seven yeah. with yeah. without shoes. So, uh, well, but you know as him, far you know he'll measure he'll measure even shorter if they take him to the combine because they always is. Yeah. I could say I'm six foot five, and as soon as I step up to the thing, I'm six foot three all of a sudden. But as as far as what he the performances he put up in in March, yeah, this is like a legacy for him at this point um i i was ex- extremely impressed and you know looking back at his season with kansas state and kind of how they you know jerome tang kind of like shocked the world with their performance this year in his first season as a head coach there's there's some parallels there to what tommy lloyd did last year at arizona and it kind of speaks well for these longtime assistants guys who spend 20 years or 15 years tutoring under you know obvious hall of fame coaches and mark few and scott drew and it shows that like that's kind of the pedigree to like build a potential championship um uh you know program uh, after the fact uh you know by by tapping into some of these longtime assistants i i think marquis know well like if you go back to like january um i think he he had like two or three straight 30 point games um in the early big 12 season uh he you know as far as his his assist numbers like the guy's been putting up double digit assists pretty much routinely over the last year um and you know this isn't his first year at kansas state a lot of people didn't know this but he transferred in actually two years ago to kansas state so he was a holdover from from the previous staff uh bruce weber's uh, program and um you know it wasn't like he was bad last season either like he you know he was a, a quality player maybe not quite a uh, superstar level like he is this year but but certainly has been doing this so you know it's it's hard it's hard to look at uh his performance and not just have respect for what for what he did um 30 point a game against Florida Atlantic you know they had a shot at the end to potentially get it and they just couldn't pull it out uh, you know, obviously we talked about the 20 point 19 assist game against Michigan state. Like those are all time performances that, uh, are going to go down. Like, you know, people will be talking about Marquise Noel and his performance in, in New York. Uh, he's, he's from New York originally against Michigan state. That's, that's going to be a performance we'll talk about for, for a long time. Well, and the thing that, the thing that, um, for me, is not only have players this tournament really kind of maximize their opportunities for the next level, even, you know, 
players that are going to be returning next season, uh, whether it be for NIL um, situations, transfer situations, or just within their own team. Because, I mean, as strange as it might sound to some fans out there, uh, you know, big groups of rosters come back every season. <laughs> they, they just they just do. Yeah. You know, some teams will have, you know, eight or nine guys that have been playing on the same team for a couple of years. It's 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 very foreign to some teams. Um, as a Kentucky fan, I haven't really seen that much uh, since Cal's been here. But, you know, I think that the coaches have definitely parlayed uh, some success into that as well. I, I, the most recent notable one, in my opinion, would be uh, uh, Rodney Terry, uh, I think is probably even with everybody else, even with um, even with Tobin Anderson, um, you know, leaving to go to uh, uh, leaving to go to uh, Western Kentucky and you've got other options as well, or other play, other coaches as well, who've made moves. I think that Ron and Terry landing in Texas is probably the best scenario um, or the, the, the best success story simply because of what he had to overcome this season, replacing beard uh, the shadow over the program. I remember when they, when beard was dismissed, I was thinking, well, Texas isn't even going to, they're not going to do anything the rest of the season. Um and they kind of lost. I think they lost a couple games around that time, and they they kind of got their bounce back, and they figured it out. You know, ultimately they ended up falling short of the of the Final Four, but you know they they've definitely you know put great games out there. Um, you know, a great game against Xavier, uh, and, and definitely looked like you know they were going to have an opportunity. Uh, Miami just had a little bit more firepower. Larinaga is just the guru with uh, with being the underdog, but I think that. You know, when you look at the landscape of college basketball, you got a lot of moving around going, uh, not just for the coach or not just for the players, but the coaches as well. And I think that it's going to make next year even. It makes me that much more excited for next season. Obviously, yeah. you get to you get to join me now in looking at you know recruits, transfers, the portal, all this stuff. You know, you can you can watch all the the sappy videos of your team's highlights throughout the season. You can watch Julian Strother just mug the entire T-Mobile Arena after hitting that three. Well deserved, by the way. I think that it's going to be a whole lot of fun. And I obviously as a fan of Kentucky with four uh, McDonald's All-Americans who are currently playing right now um, in the McDonald's McDonald's All-American game, I I just, you got to be hopeful. But at the same time, you know, we have, you know, uncertainty with the bigs. We have uncertainty in here. We have uncertainty there. Is is Damian Collins going to go? Is Hugo going to stay? Is it, it, it gives me something to focus on, but at the same time, like, I'm still not done with this tournament yet. Uh, there's a lot of fans and I'm sure you've heard this as well. A lot of people have already said that they're not going to watch or they don't care since their team's out. I don't necessarily have a vet, a rooting interest, but mayhem is the answer for me. You know, I, I, I want to yeah. see the most ridiculous matchup and I want to see the most ridiculous final game ever. I, I love uh, college basketball, but it is hard after Gonzaga loses to um, stay present uh yeah. in the tournament usually for me um i will obviously pay attention to what's going on but you know it's it is what it is you know and, and kind of speaking to what you were talking about with the mcdonald's all-american game uh one of the players which i don't know i don't know how much kentucky fans have paid attention to him or not but cody williams out of uh perry high school uh, mm-hmm. out in phoenix um, his brother Jalen Williams played for Santa Clara last year and was a lottery pick out of the WCC uh, for Oklahoma City, and he's actually had a really solid rookie year for Oklahoma City and has looked like you know really solid pro. Cody Williams is supposedly better than his brother. That's what I've been told. 
he he was recruited by a couple of WCC programs as well, but uh, you know he ended up with at Colorado, which was kind of a surprise for some people. But you know, I I think he's I think he's a really interesting prospect. He's somebody who could potentially be a one and done type player for Colorado. You know, even if he's not one and done, you know, he he brings a lot of talent to the the table for that program. For the longest, I have been saying that the 2023 class is not as strong as some classes that we've seen in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that just, I think a little bit is, is the COVID shutdown kind of hurt this class a little bit. I, would agree. I also just think, don't think necessarily the top end talent is quite the star level talent uh, that can carry programs right off the bat that we've seen in recent memory. Um, that being said, you know, Kentucky being a big benefactor of this class, uh, having, what is it? Four of the top, 15 or 20 or whatever yeah. it is players. I, I don't in the know nation. what the rankings are now, but it's somewhere in there right now. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think these players are capable of leading Kentucky next year and potentially being star like players? Or do you think this is something where Calipari truly needs to hit the portal hard, bring in some veteran players who can help kind of bridge the gap and, and make these young guys sing a little bit? I think that there's two avenues for this. I think the main most common uh, widely accepted uh, route is that more than likely Reed Shepard will be the th- the fourth out of the four um, as far as minutes goes. I think that, uh, it, you know, there's conversations about Dillingham's eligibility, but if Dillingham comes, if Dillingham and Edwards are there on the court at the same time, um, it's going to be really hard for you to not look at Kentucky as one of the top scoring offenses in the nation. I think that yeah. what Dillingham does, he's probably one of the most NBA ready players of all of the recruits coming in. And I, you know, obviously bias as a Kentucky fan, but if you watch the kid's game, he's an ab- he's just a chef. He just absolutely cooks. And it doesn't matter if his team's winning or losing, he's finding ways to create. He's getting his, he's getting his guys involved and, I can tell you right now, he's a dude that if we had just gotten him and Reed Shepard, I'd been happy. Um, having Justin Edwards, he's a six-seven uh, wing. The dude is uber athletic, and I think that he's going to give us some great mismatch options because he can play bigger if he needs to. Um, mm. But you know, something that uh, Aaron Bradshaw kind of hinted at uh, the other day in uh, the media leading up to the uh, All-American game, was that Cal was talking about him potentially playing the three or the four. Now, I can tell you right now, I don't want a seven-foot-one three. I don't. Unless your name is Kevin Durant and you're you know 19 years old and you've got good knees and ankles. No, I don't want it. He shot like five three-pointers his senior year and he missed all five. And then the other night in warm-ups, he hit like six in a row or five in a row or something like that, warming yeah. up. So obviously – that clip gets put on Twitter and everybody's like, Aaron Bradshaw, Steph Curry, what's the difference? And it's like, eh, well, you know, if we're going to really make that a narrative, that's fine. But in that first route, I think that you're going to see Dillingham, Edwards, and Bradshaw really take the lion's share of the minutes from those four. And I think that they'll definitely have the best stats. In a perfect world, uh, the second route, Reed Shepard is able to play a little bit more. He's kind of like a lesser version of Tyler Hero next season, uh, but a better version of CJ Frederick. I think that 
um, especially with his dad being, a, you know, an alum and being the being the 98 uh, most outstanding player. You know, there's there's some expectations for him. And I guarantee you, if you listen to a, a postgame show, even if the Cats win by 30, if Reed only has five points and plays 10 minutes, you're going to get, well, why doesn't Reed play? Well, why isn't, you know, where's where's Reed's minutes? The perfect world says, hey, we just let him develop. Don't, everybody doesn't have to be one and done. Everybody doesn't have to play every minute of the game. Let them develop at their own level. And they got four years to do it. Five if they want to take a, a red shirt. But as far as portal goes, uh, the Cats have been linked to a lot of big names that have been popping in. Where from Oregon is definitely a uh, high profile target that I think that Calipari would be remiss for even not looking at uh, or not not even looking at. I think that bringing him in could potentially bolster the uh, the big men. As I mentioned earlier, you know, Damian Collins, I do think is going to end up going probably back home to Houston. I have no qualm with him for doing that. His father passed away at the start of the season. It was a very sad story after just moving to Lexington. I mean, like the kid, I love him to death. I hope that if he stays, it, I'm happy. I, I it, Whatever he wants to do, I'm good with. Uh, but if he were to stay, I think that he would definitely, you know, have some Bahamas expectations from last year put on him. Like, you know, hey, you, you were doing this. And I mean, we know everything that happened, but, you know, let's let's see this again. But I think if he goes somewhere like Houston, he'll definitely play like that right away. I think the system will be better for him. As far as where and uh, you go is concerned, I don't, I don't you know, where's going to be, you know, we'll decide what we're going to do with him at the end. Lance where, I mean. And then sure. as far as Ghana on Yenso goes, a lot of a lot of speculation right now. There's some talks with him potentially going to Georgetown. One of the things that's really tough about players that are fo- uh, foreign players is that they have handlers. Let the kids play. Let the kids do what they got to do. If you need to be there to like translate or help with something, that's fine. But if it's anything that has to do with on the court, on the 94 feet, you can f- off. And that's my 100% stance on that. I don't I don't feel bad about saying it at all. Um because you get kids gassed up and you get them believing they're going to be a, a a lottery pick or a first round pick and then they go to the they go to the draft they don't get drafted or they get drafted yeah. and they don't get re-signed to that second contract and they're out of the league in 4 years and cool you 5 years from graduating high school you don't have a job like so boxy I'm sorry but that's how it feels um what about you what are you, what are you hearing right now as far as uh the Zags plan for this offseason is there is there anything exciting coming up or do you think it's pretty much locked in do you, do you know what you're expecting for next season we're bringing in Dusty Stromer who just won a title um the state of California I think he beat Sierra Canyon and Bronny James uh four times this year including in the uh the semifinal uh game for the state championships like father um I he he's a very interesting prospect because he's like he really reminds me a lot of Corey Kispert. He doesn't have the body development that Corey had as a freshman, but I think he's more skilled and further along in his development at this age than Corey was when you know when he first came in. So that that's an interesting uh spot. I don't necessarily know how uh much he's going to be a big part of next year's roster. Like I think I think he'll have a role but you know, freshman, it, it is what it is. It's and and he's you know he's a four star. He's not necessarily coming into play and start right away. Right. Um, and then we got a couple of international guys that are coming in. Alex Tui from Australia. 
um real interesting prospect uh you know duke and some other programs were on him too so it's not like kentucky was recruiting him for a minute i'm familiar with that could could be yeah um and then uh the 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 other player he is from south korea um he actually played against like chet holmgren and victor womanyama and some other guys at the u19s uh international games and uh, played pretty well actually against them. There's there's clips on YouTube of him. He actually joined the roster partway through the year, uh, but with the expectation that he wasn't actually going to play this year. He was still working on getting all of his academic stuff uh, in sure. order. You know, by all accounts, from everything I've heard about him, uh, he's further along and, and and less raw than I think we had initially anticipated. Um, so he could very well earn himself a, con- a contribution role. Uh, next year whether it's right off the bench or even as a starter potentially like you know we have we have, we have a red shirt player coming back uh Braden Huff who was the state player of the year from Illinois last year um he's like a stretch four real interesting guy and then you know obviously we're going to bring, bring back like Ben Gregg, Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas um we've got pieces there uh young relatively young pieces um who need to develop and grow still. I think really what what it comes down to is that the question marks are, is Anton Watson or Malachi Smith, are they coming back? Right now, most people would say 50-50. We don't really know for sure. Um, if they do, then you have to get less in the portal to be able to make next year's roster work. If they don't, you're you're gonna. I mean, I think the Zags are gonna hit the portal pretty hard, anyways. And we've already been linked to guys like Kalel Ware and Graham Ek from Wyoming, uh, Caleb Love from North Carolina. And I think I think a guy like Caleb Love, he's such an interesting player because he he could go off for thirty five any night. Like you kind of just know that like he's got that microwave scoring ability, but yeah. he's not necessarily the most efficient player. But coming to a program like Gonzaga, where offensive efficiency is like our bread and butter, it it's an intriguing match because you you get a guy like Love, and all of a sudden, like, does he potentially become that much more efficient because he has guys who know knew how to work off ball? He has guys who can take attention off of him. You know, I don't know. I think he can definitely get his own bucket, which is something that we were sorely lacking last year. So you go for a guy like him to kind of shore up that hole, that, that obvious hole that you saw on that roster. And, you know, Julian Strother, he could get his own bucket, but there were definitely times where he struggled with that too. So I don't know. We'll you see. Need a guy like You need Nolan to be able to initiate that. I mean, I think that one thing I've learned from watching Cal is when you have a strong point guard – regardless of if they have to be the the initiator or if they just initiate the offense by, you know, creating the mismatch or, you know, sucking in the defense. I think that the matchups between, you know, Caleb Love and, and Nolan Hickman potentially in the offseason could be beneficial for both players. Sure. Uh, I, I think, I, I think Nolan is a really like he's shown flashes of what he's capable of and he, mm-hmm. he could be a special player eventually, but I also I have a sneaking suspicion that the staff is not going to mince words and they're going to tell him that if we can land a ball dominant point guard in the portal, I already know of one. I can't name his name, but there's somebody out there that's not in the portal yet who might be joining the portal who the eggs are interested in. 
if the if the, if that happens, then they're not gonna they're not gonna shy away from it. And is that recruiting over Nolan? I I don't like that term because like we're not telling Nolan he should leave. We're saying right. Nolan, maybe you need to take on a different role this year, and then next year, the year after this next season, maybe you're the the ball dominant guard that you want to be because you've allowed yourself to learn and grow as the sixth man behind these guys. And honestly, Mark Few loves having multiple point guards anyways. If you go back to uh, two seasons ago, Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nemhard, like both, you know, NBA talented point, obviously because they're both in the NBA now now. and they played together and they, they made each other work. So it's not that it's not that Nolan Hickman's going to like lose a role. I think it's more like, he's just going to get a changing role. If we can land a ball dominant point guard. Yeah. And it always Um, helps to have that change of pace guy in there too. I mean, that, that definitely helps, especially when you're trying to um, like in a game, like against Connecticut, if you need a guy that can go out there and say, listen, I'm going to make your best guy have to cover me and I'm going to wear him out on defense. So when he's on offense, he's not going to score. I've seen several games this season from, from Gonzaga. I mean, like, obviously, you know, the game against Kentucky wasn't an example of it, but there were multiple times where I saw Nolan kind of just, it looked like there was watching four players and I forget that he was on the court. Yeah. And if he, and if he didn't have the ball in his hands, there were times where I'd see him disappear. And that's just, that is a very ignorant impression of a small sample size. So I don't, well, it's not, it's to... not, it's not so far off from the reality. There's definitely times this year where he disappeared. Um, and, and then there were times where he showed flashes of, you know, he's the, during WCC play, he stopped turning the ball over as much as he had during the non-conference season. Um, he was a little bit more aggressive at looking for his shot. There was a couple of games where he actually hit like a game winner or, you know, really important shot at the end of the game that were helpful to getting the team to win. Um, and, you know, I, I think he has the talent. Like I said, I just, I feel like he's at this stage in his career where and Gonzaga is at this stage as a program where we have to, we have to force ourselves into the best possible roster makeup that we can get uh for next season because drew jimmy's gone like there is no star do everything guy that's coming next year for gonzaga as as of yet uh so this is going to be a program that needs to figure out an identity as a team uh relatively early on in order to potentially do well in games against Kentucky next year in the Maui Invitational, you know, and, and some of those non-conference big matchups that we're going to have. Um, and Mark Few is not looking to have rebuilding years. Like this is a man who is trying to put his Even team in the position. 16, why would you want to rebuild? Exactly, and you know, and and let's be real. Like you know, are there are there future star players that we're recruiting that? Uh, could potentially put us back in those national championship conversations in, in future years? Yes. But are those guaranteed? Not until they sign on the dotted line. And even then, with the world of NIL, you never know. So Shady you can't necessarily – court. <laughs> yeah, you can't necessarily bank on on any one player to, like, lead your program. So you, you need to build depth. You need to have, um, you know, talent at every spot on the floor – and you got to have guys who can create their own buckets. Gonzaga just it, it, look. There's a lot of people out there who will say, "Is Gonzaga tough enough?" 
do they do they have enough kids who walked home from practice? I think I've heard that before. That's what a what an ignorant comment. You know, I don't know. I look, I <laughs> we we were supposedly going to get out toughed by TCU in the second round this year. And look, Mike Miles Jr., hell of a guard, really really tough dude, and and punched us in the face in that first half and tried his best, but Gonzaga out toughed him. Yeah. So they wore look, down. I, <laughs> Yeah, I I think that the I think that Gonzaga knows how to win. Uh maybe not every maybe you can't win every national championship because guess what? It's it's hard to win games in the tournament. Very but difficult. uh but Mark Few has been there, he's done that, he's produced teams that are that have reached the pinnacle of the sport. I, I there is not a time in my fanhood anymore where I question our coaching staff's ability to get these guys ready. I think that they're going to find a roster that's going to fit really well together next year. And Gonzaga is still going to be a top four seed in the tournament and the rest of the freaking world can touch grass. So, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, do you think that, let me ask you this. So Timmy's gone. You think Strother comes back? No, I think Julian is going to be a first round pick in the draft okay. um, or at I worst, agree. like a fringe. Sure yeah. Yeah. He might fall to early second, but He's going to end up with some sort of a guarantee. He's just he's got the skill set that that translates really well to the next level. Um, And if the right team gets him, like he's going to have a chance to develop and grow into something good, probably. Yeah, and and what he did in the tournament, especially, I mean, you know, I'll highlight the UCLA game because it was probably, I think, one of the best games you guys played in the tournament. I mean, obviously, the the you know running up with that lead and losing it at the end wasn't great, but uh, I think you had talked about this. Um, on on another podcast actually, uh, with Zach Framer, is that Farmer? Zach Farmer, uh-huh. Zach Farmer, and I was listening to you talk about him, and I was thinking, you know, uh, the question I have for you is, do you think that that play was drawn up with, like the Chris Jenkins play from Villanova, uh-huh. was that drawn up that way, or did it just work out that way? It was a hundred percent drawn up that way. They practiced that play. Mark Mark Few calls it the J Wright play, and they practice okay. it every so day, you, every day in practice. Do you think that becomes the new Philly special? For teams? I don't know. I'm not saying, obviously, <laughs> I don't think it'll be used uh, as much, but I think you know, for a last second you have, shot, it, a really effective yeah. way to get up. If if you have a guy who can shoot from the logo, with. Yeah confidence and ease absolutely like why not use like if gonzaga was to land caleb love yeah. i could 100 percent see caleb love take a shot like that next year you don't think sure. he'd be the guy bringing the ball up no i think oh, he's okay. i think he's going to be off ball i think he's going to end up being a guy you want to uh create and get to the bucket like he's going to be your your the next guy to touch the ball after your gotcha. point guard hopefully We'll be talking about that point guard in the near future. I'm not allowed to tell anybody who it is yet, though. It's fair. It's fair. We, uh, you know, we could, you could always just say it. We could just release it later, but it's all good. We uh, maybe I'll but, tell you off air. There you go. <laughs> uh, I do want to. I do want to ask you uh, specifically, and I know this is gonna. I, I want to bring happiness to you. I want you to think about the happy things that have happened for for the Zags this tournament. If you had to say that, I mean, I named the Strother shot, but. Um, you know, what would you say was the best moment for the Zags in the tournament? Or do you think there's one definable one outside of that Strawford shot? I mean, like, 
obviously it's a big one, but you know, is there anything else that sticks out in your mind that makes you go, I'll remember that one from this run? Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe not like a specific moment, but just, you know, Timmy breaking records and solidifying himself as one of the, the greatest uh, March players of all time. Like you, no matter, no matter how you feel about Drew Timmy and there, he is a very polarizing personality. Uh, you cannot take away the fact that for the last really three and a half years, Drew Timmy has been, one of the most dominant players in college basketball. Um, and honestly, like it's kind of surprise. It's, it's, <laughs> it's weird to me that we're even having this conversation because it's like drew Timmy should have had probably a, a first team all American the last three years. And he should, sure. should have probably won a national player of the year at some point. He just happened to run into, you know, Zach Eady, seven foot four monster, uh, doing things that seven foot four people shouldn't be able to do this year. Oscar Sheway yeah. rebounding the whole of America last year. And then uh, what was it? The uh, three years ago, it was uh, uh, Luca Garza from yeah. Iowa who, yeah. you know, had just an absurd run uh, himself. So, you know, it could work out for him though. <laughs> it could work out because Luca hasn't had a great NBA career. We've already discussed yeah. that Oscar is probably not going to play very much in the NBA, if, if at all. Yeah, Edie's the one outlier for that, but I think that I think that bodes well for Timmy. I mean, I, I agree that he deserves some accolades, yeah. but he what he won the West Coast Conference Player of the Year twice, right? Uh, I think, yeah, I think twice. I think First three. team All Conference three times, and you know he's he's yeah. he's got some awards under his belt. So I mean, like, yeah, the, the accolades are there. They're just not. You didn't yeah. ever win National Player of the Year, but what bodes well for him at the next level is that last year at the Combine, he showed off a three point shot that wasn't there in the college game. Yeah, he's not necessarily the fastest guy in the world or anything like that, but he is super quick, like deceptively quick off of his you know footwork which that's been a, a point of contention during march uh you know but uh he has guard skills at his position he's a he's a 6-10 guy that can get off the dribble and that's not necessarily common necessarily um out there you know there are guys at the next level who do that obviously but but drew timmy has skills that that belie like that you look at his his size his his position played in college and you're like oh i didn't know he could do that yeah oh he can do that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the kid like listen when they even though it was a joke initially or i mean even the whole time um uh, about timmy time and bringing him to lexington i i, I would not have been mad i mean you don't get yeah. guys of that caliber transferring could you like imagine that. the spacing so, with shibway and timmy together it would have been a nightmare. It would have been a nightmare. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing, though. I think – I honestly think that might have helped because here's here's a here's a weird theory for you. So we were talking about Sonogo earlier from, from UConn and how he's literally the same build as Oscar. I think they're even – like, they're about the same weight. They're 6'9". Oscar's 250. He's 240, 245. Uh, same build. Um, the difference is that Sonogo's got way better – Athletic, uh, athletic ability that translates in the post. I think Drew Timmy's athletic ability to get to the post would have worked, and then you just have Oscar there. So what you do is you just move him to the other side of the court. I mentioned that because 
when Oscar came to Kentucky, he came three years ago. He was in the middle of the COVID year. He came to um, the uh, uh, the program, and we talked about you know him potentially. Or he transferred from from West Virginia, and and he was discussing um, you know getting to practice. So he didn't get to play, but he got to play against uh, practice against Isaiah Jackson. And I think that having him go against both Jackson and and Sar from that team. Um, they might not have, you know, they, they went nine and 16 call a spade a spade. They weren't very good, but I think it definitely improved both of those players games and Oscars to an extent. So it could have worked out for both of them. I think that Timmy definitely would have been the one getting all the love though. I think Timmy would have got the points. Oscar would have got the rebounds, Yeah, at least in my opinion. And I don't think that either player would have traded off the other way. Oscar wouldn't have said, let me take the outside shot. He would have just, you know, said, Timmy, you pull up. So, yeah, I think that, you know, at least for Kentucky, you know, much limited, much more limited pool to pull from. But uh, I think the uh, Reeves just going unconscious hot and hitting just, I think he hit four in a row at one point against Providence was what we were hoping to see. Now, you and I talked right after the game was over and I was like, you know, everybody looks at me because I put Kentucky in the championship game and I'm sitting there going, look at him play like this. And now you see why. And then they laid the egg and you're like, <laughs> that's. So it, it, the potential that Kentucky had, I think this season was highlighted every time Reeves got hot. It happened in Arkansas. It happened against Auburn. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I wish that I wish for guys like Kaysen, guys like Oscar, uh, they could have made a deeper run. Uh, Oscar deserved it, definitely. And one of these days, I'll tell you my opinion on Kaysen Wallace, but it won't be today. I look back at this tournament with one, one less week uh, of cheering under my belt than you do. And, and I, I just say, Hey, you know, we had a 16 seed upset of one. We had Princeton make the, did they make the sweet 16? Yeah. Yeah. We had a 15 in the round of 16 again, the sweet 16 again, everybody started looking at them like St. Peter's, you know, you got uh potential match uh, upsets like oral Roberts over Duke that didn't happen. But then you see Duke go out and just get flattened by Tennessee. And you're like, how the hell um, so it, there were a lot of really awesome games to watch. And I think that if a, a streaming service was smart because the NCAA only makes money during the tournament, I know it's difficult with ads and everything, but you can cut all the ads at commercials out of games and just run it real quick. I think it'd be really smart to have a database, like a streaming service that you can watch every single game, like from that year's tournament, like yeah. you can just click. You know, like like an episodic thing. Like you can just click on the Kentucky Wildcats and you go, oh, Providence, Kansas State, you know, Gonzaga Bulldogs. You got, um, you know, four options. You know, you got Miami. They got four options and a fifth and potentially a sixth. Like, I think it would be cool to see that kind of uh, setup simply because years like this, you want to see them all the time. You hate it when it happens to your team. I know you hate it when it happened to yours. Uh, but seeing this madness, seeing this mayhem is is wonderful. I, it shows you that there was not a dominant team this year in basketball. Uh, as much as UConn was the team that we thought, and we discussed them earlier, you know, they were 11 and 0 going into conference play. Um, you know, through their conference, they, they dropped some games. They didn't beat Xavier all season. Like if Xavier yeah. was up in that bracket instead of Texas and like they beat Miami and it was an all big East right side, I'd put everything I have on Connecticut. Cause it's hard to beat a team three times. But I guarantee you, they'd still be like, "Ah, oh, man, we got to play Xavier." They they got beat by them twice, and they got punked both right. times. 
So I'm excited. Um, I just noticed that uh, the NIT semifinal is going on right now. Do you have any idea who's playing in those games right now? Uh, Utah Valley State is one of them. Wisconsin is one of them. And then uh, is UA UAB. Yep, UAB in North Texas. So right yeah. now, Wisconsin's beaten North Texas right before the half, and Utah Valley and UAB play later. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't remember if any of those teams were snubs for the. Tournament. Oh, they were for sure. I think they were. I think the CUSA got absolutely shafted by, um, by not getting UAB or North Texas in. Uh, oh, really? Obviously, okay. it's, it's really hard. It's really hard because. You know, if Florida, if Florida Atlantic had lost the CUSA title game, then one of them would have been in, and and you know they would have stolen a bid from somebody. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Jelly Walker at UAB, Tyler Perry at North Texas, just really, really, really good guard play in that league. Eric Gaines at UAB, hyper athletic uh, dunker who you know played at LSU a couple of years ago. Um, I remember him. I, I I think that yeah, it, Florida Atlantic is, is deserving. No matter how people feel about it, of the Final Four, they earned that role. Uh, and those teams in the NIT getting as far as they did, that just shows how tough the CUSA was this year. And people just didn't respect it like they should have. The the group of five, and then the Power Five. Um, we've discussed conference realignment, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it more even after the off season. Uh, I think it's going to be a good time to get into it again. But when you look at these group of five conferences in football, it's an obvious difference, but in basketball, it's not so much. I mean, you get these transfers from, from big schools, you know, that are hyper talented going to a smaller school where they might be like Antonio Reeves was the best player on, on Illinois state last year. He comes to Kentucky. He is one of the dudes, like one of the guys at Illinois state. He's the guy he's, you know, everybody's got his Jersey. Everybody's, you know, remembering his name. He's the one everybody's wanting to go get. When you get it reversed, when you have guys like severe leaving, when you have guys like Chris Livingston, potentially testing the waters, uh, if he doesn't go pro, he might transfer, which personal opinion, terrible idea. Um, I think that you start noticing that that pool starts to level out a little bit. And you see teams like Creighton, Gonzaga, um, or Creighton, Xavier, uh, UConn this season, uh, start to, you know, kind of correct themselves and kind of move back to the center. You notice that the way that the Zags started off this season, they were white hot and they were winning big games. They, they knocked off Kentucky. They beat Michigan state, uh, you know, in the, in the overseas game. And then, as the season progresses, you start to see little chinks in the armor and you start to notice yeah. like, Hey, there's the, there's the deficiency here. There's this here. But as the, at the end of the season, you've got this, you've got this finished product and you look at it and you go, this is wonderful. So these teams don't have to have 10 all-stars on them. They don't have to have 10 all-Americans on them. They don't even have one all-American on them because there's not one in the final four teams. So it, I, I like that for that reason. But if Kentucky and Gonzaga are still alive, I'd be a whole lot happier. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Yeah. All so, right, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Switch Everything podcast. I'm your host, Josh Linky, and the man spinning Drew Timmy fan fiction was Elliot Braxick. Thank you for joining us. Y'all be good. Bye bye.